If you haven't done so already, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy is right after 1 Timothy. So let's go ahead and turn there. We are in a series called Practical Christianity, and it's a series about what are the basic beliefs of, of being a Christian. And I bring that up because it's, it's one thing to uh, believe the right things about God, but it's another thing to see change uh, in our lives because out of those beliefs. Uh, we talked about uh, justification or what it means to be a Christian, how we're made Christian, uh, how we know forgiveness and we know life uh, with him because of Christ and what he's done for us. Last week, we talked about uh, sanctification. What does it mean to, to grow in holiness or to grow and, and be more Christ-like? Uh, and we looked at that from uh, Peter. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, God's Word. Uh, again, what does it uh, mean not only to, to believe these things, but to engage with these truths in a way that we see uh, God changing us and we see uh, in a functional way uh, God's Word working uh, in and, and through us. So as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, suffering. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask in these uh, moments, you give us ears to hear, that you are help our hearts to uh, settle. You give our minds the ability to uh, pay attention and to take in uh, the truth that you would have for us, your instruction for us, because we uh, need you. We know that we need you, and we pray that you would instruct us and encourage us. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. I'm sure you all know the story of the Titanic. It's a, a well-familiar one. In 1912, uh, this huge ship uh, struck an iceberg and uh, sunk, and uh, many lives were lost uh, because of it, but you would think that there would have been warnings, that they wouldn't have been just cruising along and all of a sudden they just hit this iceberg, but there were many warnings over those 14 hours before it fatally struck that iceberg. Uh, early in the morning, they got one report uh, from a British ship at 9 in the morning, then a Greek ship sent a message about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. A German ship sent a message shortly after about these two icebergs that they had just cross paths with as a warning to the Titanic, and then there were the warnings in the evening at 7.30 and, and 9.40. And you think, why did these warnings fail? Now, to the captain's credit, the first warning, he heard that and they adjusted course. 
But the warnings they heard in the afternoon, they were busy, uh, they were distracted by and couldn't engage with because the radio was not functioning correctly. So they were busy trying to get that up and, and working and in order. Uh, the, the, the warnings that came in the evening fell on deaf ears in a sense because the, the radio operator was trying to uh, radio and communicate with his contact in Canada, and that Canadian contact would touch base with the, the contact ultimately in New York. And so the, all these distractions that were going about. And finally, the last warning that came at 1030, the operator just cut him off because he was engaged in, in what he was doing at hand and did not have time um, for this. And so here you have this crew just barreling down, going at full speed, and then they finally hit this iceberg that brings about their destruction. They heard the warnings. They knew about the warnings. They had their fair chance, fair shot, but they didn't capitalize on those things. Now, it's easy for us. We, we sit here, and we can kind of Monday morning quarterback it and think, why didn't they hear that? They should have been more aware and more cautious and uh, all those kind of things they should have done. How could they just miss those warnings? Well, the truth of the matter is we miss warnings all the time, uh, particularly as we, as we think about the importance of God's word in our life. It's, it's so easy for us to be distracted and to be preoccupied that we forget and we lose sight of the, the message of the scriptures uh, to us, God's word of instruction in our lives. And Paul is very clear that the power and the need for God's word to be a, a present reality uh, in and through us. And that's our topic this morning. There's three ways I want us to, to talk about our need for God's word. First, to talk about where did the Bible come from, uh, why we need the Bible, and then how to use the Bible to get real practical, how to use it in our lives. First, where did the Bible come from? Uh, it's, 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 it's not really up for debate that the, the Bible is the most popular book that's ever been printed and sold. In terms of just that copies that are out in circulation, it's, it's unrivaled in its, its popularity. And because it is so popular, there's so many opinions about it. Some would say it's full of contradictions. It's not worth my time. I just, you know, why should I invest in that? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, some would say it's just full of legends. It's these, these stories, they're, they're neat and they're, they're thought-provoking and they're, they're engaging, but they're just legends at the end of the day. Others would say it's, there's so many miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament there's so many miracles there. It's so supernatural. There's no way that it can be true and, and really relevant in my life. And yet, in verse 16, uh, Paul says to us, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So when we ask the question, where does the Bible come from? The obvious answer is it comes from God. It's, it's God's word to us. God's, God's revelation breathed out in our lives. All that we know about God is revealed to us in the scriptures. The big questions of life, who created us, where did we come from, where are we going, what the problem is, they're all found in scripture, and God's revealing these things to us. When Paul says that it's scripture is, is breathed out by God, he's getting at the idea, of course, of, of inspiration. This is God's inspired word. Inspired in the sense it's been breathed out by God, not in the sense that the, the writers themselves are inspired, but the word itself is inspired by God. It's God's revelation to us. Uh, we don't 
we don't know that the nuts and bolts process of how these authors uh, got this scripture that we have today. Uh, we don't know how, how God worked in that. Certainly we can talk about the Holy Spirit uh, working in their lives, guiding them and, and, and directing them to write what they wrote, uh, making sure they communicate truth and not error. But we don't know the exact uh, process of that. Some have, have put forward that it was, it was like a, a, a dictation that took place, this dictation theory, like God's authors were nothing more than just glorified secretaries, so to speak. And so can, you can imagine David coming home from a, a long day of work, long day at the office. He's going to bed. He's about to lie down, and God comes up to him and says, it's not bedtime. It's dictation time, okay? And David's saying, all right, and he moseys on over to his desk, and he lights his candle, and he gets his pen out, and he says, all right, God, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm a little tired, uh, but I'm ready for you. And God says, all right, here's where we're going to start now. The Lord, the Lord is my, is my shepherd, shepherd. I shall not, I shall not. I, I hardly think we can imagine Psalm 23 being uh, given to us out of dictation because God literally told David to say these words. Certainly you have to go in and think of David using his experience with God and using that analogy and reflecting upon God as his shepherd and giving us this psalm. We don't know the process, that the nuts and bolts of it all, but we do know that it's God's word to us. Think about the Gospel of Luke. It is so different from the Gospel of Matthew. The book of Daniel is, is different in its, its genre, in its, in its style, from what we get in James. Hebrew writers write with a Hebrew style. Greek writers write with a Greek style. But nevertheless, it's God's scripture. It's, it's been breathed out by God and given to us. Somehow, God overriding those men, their proneness to error in, in giving us this truth. All scripture is breathed out by God. The text we have from us is God speaking to us. The question is, what are we doing with that word, that, with that authority in our lives? Uh, R.C. Sproul has, has told the story of how he was a, a young boy, a young kid, and he would have this other uh, boy in his life that was a couple years older than him. And sometimes this kid would uh, say things to him that, that were mean. He was just like this bully in his life. And sometimes it would really get to R.C. and really frustrate him and, and, and make him angry. And he'd go home and, and talk to his mother about that just in tears sometime. And his mother was, was known to say this to him in response. She would say, when people talk about you, consider the source. It's a great question for us. As you think about the Bible, have you considered the source? Have you considered the fact that this is God's word to you, God's word to us? It's, it's absolutely true, and it's there revealing all that God is for us. John Calvin, is, is, when he talks about the doctrine of Scripture, he encouraged us to, to think about it as we read the Bible, as we hear the Bible, to, to think about it as God personally speaking to you that he has you in mind, his desire for you to know him personally. Uh, maybe another way to, to, to think about this is like this. Who's the authority in your life? Who has authority in your life? To, authority in the sense that they, they um, impact what you think and what you do and what you believe and the habits that you form and the attitudes that you have. And 
how you do life, who is that authority in your life? Because if you ask culture that question, they'll say, well, you know, this, this celebrity is authority in my life. They dress like this. They act like this. They have these thoughts and ethics. So I'm going to have those same kind of thoughts and ethics. Or it could be uh, uh, an, an athlete or it could be a, a college professor that, that has that kind of authority in your life. My wife is going to hate this, but I was skimming through this story online about Lane Kiffin. And it's been 10 years since he had that one glorious year at the University of Tennessee coaching their football team. And Kiffin, if you know him, has this this swagger and this certain personality about him. He's very confident and very boisterous and likes to to, to stir things up and, and mix things up as the football coach. And you ask him and he'll say a lot of what he does, he'll say, I just, I love Steve Spurrier and I love his swagger and the way he, he talks about other teams and, and talks and mixes things up. I, he wears a visor because Spurrier wore a visor. That's his authority in his life. That's the one that's in, having an impact upon him, guiding in how he lives and, and decisions he makes and the beliefs that he has and the character that's, that's forming him. What has authority in your life? What has having functional authority in your life? Is it the scriptures? Is it God's word breathed into uh, existence for us? Well, if that's where the Bible comes from, why do we need the Bible? Why do we need it in our lives? Verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, All scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's two reasons why we need the scripture to influence our thinking and to influence our living. Paul gets at the thinking when he says useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. He gets at our living when he says training in righteousness and equipped for every good work. This is the Bible influencing how we live. First, the Bible influencing our thinking. When he says teaching, he means that if you want to know who you are, where you came from, what it means to, to, to know salvation, your, your biggest problem and where things are going, that's the job of the Bible. It communicates who God is. Again, everything we know about God is from where? It's from his scripture. It's from his word to us. If you ask culture, what's the problem in life? What would they say? They would say, well, you know, what the, the, the man's biggest problem is lack of education. And so the reason there's racism in the world is because people are just uneducated about the, the implications of that. If we just educate them, that'll fix the problem. Or if you ask the culture, what, um, what's, the, what's, what's your purpose in life? They'll say the purpose of life is what you want to do. The purpose of life is you being you, you being what you want to be. And Scripture comes in and says this is who who God is. This is what he says the problem of the world and the problem of us and what the solution is and where things are going. And then Paul talks about rebuking. Rebuking is simply God saying, I love you too much for you to keep doing this. I love you too much for you to keep making these kind of decisions, performing these kinds of habits. It's God's word bringing correction. It's God's word bringing conviction At some point, when we experience rebuke, there's going to be this this pushback that we have. God, it's 2019. That's, That's just not how men and women relate together outside of marriage. Uh, that's just not how things happen now. We don't have those kind of ethics. We don't have those kind of values anymore. 
And God's word comes in and it rebukes us and challenges us in what we're doing and what we're thinking. The last one there is, is correcting. If God is saying, don't do this, correcting is saying to us, do this. This is the path of life. This is the, the direction you need to be on. If you want to know everything I have for you, the life of, of hope and joy and, and peace and contentment, then accept this correction. Move in this direction. It's, it's the, the way of moving positive uh, forward with that. The second group is the, the, the group that influences how we are living and why we need the Bible because it influences how we live Paul says, for one, training in righteousness. This is simply being educated, growing, being disciplined, and doing the work of of righteousness in the sense of doing things that please God, having a life that that pleases him and being trained in that. This past week, our daughter was in a a golf match, and they were playing Pinewood Prep and uh, Wilson Hall. And so you had these uh, groups of, of three or four that moved throughout the course, one person per each school, representing each school. And there was, and I was following my daughter around, and there was another dad that was there watching his daughter play. At some point, he made the comment, you know, she shot a, a 45 last week, and she just has this attitude that that's the way it's always going to be, that she's always going to shoot that kind of score without having to practice. And you can see the frustration on the father. He's like, that's so idiotic because you can't, you've got to practice. You've got to work at it to keep maintaining that level of performance. If you ask uh, athletes that are, that are so competitively good on a professional level, it's not like they just show up on a Sunday or on a Saturday and they perform like they do. They grind away day in and day out practicing their craft so that they can perform like they do on that field or on that court. Somebody at an academic level, a high academic level, they just don't show up to the classroom, open a book, and just start teaching. But years and years and years of study and work to get to that level. Musicians don't just perform one Sunday morning. They practice and practice and practice and practice and get instruction and instruction all the time. In a similar way, it's true of our spiritual lives. If you want to know joy, if you want to know peace, if you want to know contentment and power in your life, then you've got to be in the Word. It's silly to complain about lack of joy and and guilty feelings and lack of contentment and lack of wisdom when you're not giving attention to God's revealed word to you, God speaking to you. It takes day in and day out practice of being in his word to know the truth and the reality of all that he is for us. He talks about being equipped for every good work. This is being capable for every good work. Being a physician where you're able to endure hardship being in a position where you're able to endure with, with patience, where you're able to be able to, you're equipped to, to respond to somebody with love or respond in kindness or to, to move through an awkward moment by faith because you know that you need to be obedient uh, to him. In other words, that the reason we have the Bible in our lives is to expose the, the things that we're doing wrong, the things that are dangerous for us, that the lies that we tend to believe, the lies that say, it's okay if you do this, it's okay if you do that, it feels so good, and this will be okay in the end, it's not that big a deal. But the Bible comes in and it exposes us to those realities and says to us, you've got to turn away from them. 
This past weekend, I was captured by this uh, documentary about Chernobyl. And it's just so powerful. Maybe I'm the only one that really enjoyed it. But Chernobyl, you remember, is that, that nuclear power plant in, in, Kiev, in, in the Ukraine that exploded in 1986. The, the core of the nuclear plant, power plant exploded. And so for, for, a, for a long time, radiation just pouring out into the air. And so you had a city of Chernobyl, 40,000 inhabitants had to ultimately be evacuated that place is still abandoned today. It, it, it's still empty, apartment after apartment, just sitting there empty because it's unlivable because of all the radiation exposure there. They have a hospital there where all the first responders went to because they were thinking it's just a fire in this nuclear power plant. We just need to go up and put this fire out on the roof and we'll be okay. Meaning what was really happening is they were being exposed to this radiation and they were literally being burnt up with this radiation. These first responders, firefighters, would go to the hospital there in town because they're, they're, they're very sick. And they would get them in these rooms and these doctors and nurses would come in and say, no, you've, this is radiation points. We've got to pull off all their clothing. My point is you can still go to that hospital and in the basement is all their uniforms and all their boots and all their shoes that still is radioactive, that still has this, this deadly level of, of poison, toxics. For them, and yet they allowed this to happen. At the end of this this documentary, you know, they give, kind of give the aftermath and of quotes and kind of where they are now. But they ran this one quote that was really intriguing. They say Gorbachev in his memoirs would say that the reason, ultimate reason why, or perhaps the reason why that the Soviet Union finally fell, is because of what happened at Chernobyl. And what he's getting at is all the lies that came out of that event in Chernobyl. We all know the Soviets lie. They, they do that kind of thing, and it's this politics and all those tensions going on. But that lie exposed how callous and how evil they really were. It took that radiation being taken in the wind and in the air and being detected in Sweden for them to finally fess up and say, we have a real problem with what's going on. They had to be exposed on that level. We need the Bible because we need it exposing us. We need it telling us this is the reality of who you are. And sometimes that's really bad news because it means conviction. It means confession. But it also means really good news, telling us, no, this is what's really true. This is what you really have. This is what Christ has really done for you. It's why we need the Scripture so so that God can change us and expose us and we can know him. How do we use the Bible we use the Bible by reading it. Now, I'm assuming that, that all of us have been around the church long enough for me to say we need to read the Bible is not news to you. That there's nobody singing here, we need to read the Bible? Like, we need to read it personally? I've, this is crazy talk. I've never heard this before. That you get the idea that we need to read the Bible, that it's important for us to read. But nonetheless, we have all these kinds of excuses, don't we? I'm too busy. Well, You've got the same amount of time as everybody else does. Or we'll make the excuse of, the Bible's too complicated. I can't understand it. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's written with this kind of language and this kind of style. I just, I just don't understand. I don't get it. Well, you seem to be up with the latest football game and all the, the ins and outs of those plays and those players and the stats. You seem to be pretty good at keeping up with your hobbies and all the nooks and the, the technicalities that go along with those hobbies, 
how is it that you can't learn the Bible, that you can't invest sometimes in learning the Scripture on a personal level? You've got to remember that there is a spiritual reality that's going on behind the scenes. I mean, when you pick up uh, the the newspaper or a book uh, about your hobby or about something of interest to you, you're captivated by that. You're, you're, You're engrossed in that. Nothing distracts you. But the moment you pick up a Bible and you begin to read the Gospel of John, Suddenly you're thinking about, you know, I've got like, I've got to do this today. I've got to go to the post office. We need more cereal. Uh, oh, man, I dread seeing this person. You're suddenly inundated with all the distractions that come into your heart and into your mind. There's a spiritual reality going on behind the scenes that you've got to be made aware of. Some of you maybe are thinking, you know, I, I may not read the Bible as much as I should, and I hear what you're saying, but you know what? I listen to sermons. And I read devotionals. That's not the same thing. What you need to be doing is be able to feed your own soul. If you want to love the Lord, like you hear those pastors talking about how they love the Lord, or that devotional material about how they love the Lord, um, it, then you've got to learn to feed yourself. Because you're never going to love the Lord like they do by listening to them talk about Jesus. You've got to interact with Jesus, your own. You, you, the, a Bible and a devotional book are different things. Are you in the scriptures themselves? If I told you uh, all the reasons I love my wife and I love my children, that's not going to make you love them. It's only going to make you think, well, that, she sounds like a pretty cool person. Your kids sound pretty interesting. If you want to love the Lord, then you've got to learn to be able to feed your own soul with the scriptures which means asking and answering two questions, when and how. When are you going to read the Bible? Because you can sit there and you think, gosh, maybe he's right, I need to read the Bible. And you go home and it's like, you read the Bible today, you read the Bible tomorrow, maybe you read it Tuesday. But what about Wednesday? What about Thursday? You've got to find a time that you're going to sit down and read the Scriptures you know when you're at work. You know what time you need to be at work. You know when you need to take a shower. You know when you need to eat food and eat breakfast. You know when you need to go to the game and watch this or participate in that. Are you making time to read the scriptures? Are you saying, I'm going to read the Bible before breakfast? I'm going to read the Bible during breakfast. I'm going to read it at lunch. Um, do you have a time when you're going to read the Bible? 10 to 20 minutes a day, I don't think is asking too much. And as you're reading the scriptures, just answer three questions. Sit down, read a paragraph, read a passage. I'm going to read the gospel of John. I'm going to take it passage by passage. If I skip a day, then I'll just come back and pick up where I left off before and answer three questions. If you're looking for a way to start, what do you learn about God? Just answer the question. What do you learn about God from this passage? What do you learn about yourself from this passage? And what do you need to do in light of this passage? Is there something to be modeled? Is there something to believe? Is there obedience that you need to partake of in your own life? Who is God? Who are you? And what do you need to do in light of it? Now, we've talked about some of the nits and crannies of where the Bible comes from. Uh, we talked about the, the need for it. But we've got to remember the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is Jesus We've talked about the, the, the word as a text, but we can't forget the word that became flesh, as John tells us in his gospel, the word becoming flesh. 
and remembering as you read the Bible, as we are engrossed and, and we find opportunity to, to be convicted, we find opportunity to be corrected, we find opportunity to, to learn in the midst of all that, what's going on in our hearts and minds behind all those things is remembering what Christ did for us, that he fully obeyed the word, that he fully fulfilled all those promises, and he does all that for us, and we are accepted in his sight because of what he has done for us. And we, as we read the scripture, we remember that story because it's the story of Scripture. It's the story for us. What are you doing with the Bible in your life? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we uh, are a people that are, that are needy. Uh, we need your word. Sometimes we, we don't want to hear your word because it means correction. It means uh, giving up. It means conviction. And that's hard. But at the same time, we need your promises. We need your truth. We need your life. Uh, You promise us and give us joy and peace. You are a great God over all things, a creator over, over this universe, and you have breathed out your word, your revelation to us. We pray that we would treasure it. Pray that we would find life in it. We pray that we would see more of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.